Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to today's Bible Questions podcast. My name is Jeff. With me today is Brian. How are you doing, Brian? Hey, good morning, Jeff. Doing very well. Thank you. Yeah, for our listeners, we're kind of in the middle of a multi-part uh, series of podcasts related to getting to know God, getting to know Jesus, and I think Brian will have a future one on, on getting to know the, the Holy Spirit, all of which are kind of tied together, basically getting to know deity. Would, would you say that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Right. And so kind of as we you know get into today's session on you know getting to know Jesus, if our listeners have not listened to the previous podcast, uh, Getting to Know God, we would certainly uh, uh, suggest that they listen to that one first before getting into today's, uh, since one kind of builds on the other. Uh, so kind of to get us started, Brian, let's uh, begin with uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 23 which says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, Brian, you know, from the very you know, beginning here, one of the things we may need to clarify uh, in terms of getting to know Jesus better is there are a lot of misconceptions you know, out there that people have about Jesus uh, in terms of you know, who he was, his nature, etc., in fact, you may even encounter a relatively small number of people that will deny he even existed. I mean, some you know atheists might claim it was just you know fiction, you know, made up by you know first century Jews. Um, others, like Jews then in the first century and and today, would say yes, well, okay, yes, he did indeed exist, uh, but he was an imposter, a false prophet. Uh, Muslims today would acknowledge his existence and say, yes, he was a wise prophet, you know, sent by God, you know, just like Moses, Abraham, Muhammad. Um, some people, not as many today, uh, but, you know, back in Jesus' day, you know, second, first and second century for sure, uh, known as the Gnostics, would say, yes, there was a man, Jesus, who happened to have within him a separate spirit uh, inside him. You know, he came came from heaven. Uh, who is known as the Christ. So they would distinguish the man from the you know, spirit being you know, living within him. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will say he's Michael the Archangel, a created being. Uh, oneness Pentecostals will say, yes, Jesus was God, that if you could look into heaven at the time when he was on the earth, God was not in heaven. Actually, God came to earth singularly, a singular God. Uh, of course, Mormonisms will say, yes, you know, Jesus existed. He was one of several spirit children uh, of God uh, and one of his wives. And basically, Jesus is a brother of Satan, a spiritual family, etc. And of course, that's Mormonism. Uh, and then, of course, there's the often, you know, classic uh, you know, Christianity you know, perspective, that of the quote-unquote Trinity, where indeed uh, God... Uh, did come to this world in flesh, deity, uh, part of the Godhead, you know, God the Father, the Son, Spirit, uh, that he came, was sinless, showed us how to live, etc. 
And of course, you know, Brian, hopefully our audience, you know, recognizes that there are a lot of different perspectives. You know, only one can be right. What we believe the scriptures teach is the last one, you know, in terms of the Trinity, you know, consisting of the, the three, you know, three personages so so unified that they can also be spoken as being one. Uh, Brian, any other uh, intro before we uh, actually get started? Yeah, you know, at the you were talking about Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, God with us. And in our last episode, you know, we were talking about this uh, conversation that Jesus was having with Thomas. And, you know, Thomas said, hey, just show us the Father. You know, in essence, we'll believe. And, of course, Jesus told him, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in many respects, when we talk about the nature of God, we're also talking about the nature of Jesus, right? Because as you pointed out, he indeed was God with us. And so as we dive into this, we'll see that. And then also to your point about these misconceptions, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus was very real, that he was in fact God with us. And and so as we go through this, that'll become very evident. Yep. And so what we're going to do today is a little bit different. Uh, as we want to start off, Brian and I are kind of very rapidly going to ping pong uh, on the topic of Jesus, more specifically getting to know Jesus, and even more specifically getting to know him better through his various names or titles. And so, Brian, you want to tee that up for us? Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, there's over a hundred names for Jesus in the Bible, and we thought, you know, one unique way to kind of look at his nature is just look at some of these names and specifically the passages where these names are listed to help us better understand his nature. So as we go through this, I think our listeners will see that this, in fact, does reveal his nature. So uh, the first one that we see is, is Jesus is called the Alpha and Omega. For those of you that are familiar with Greek, you'll recognize this is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So what, what does this mean, Alpha and Omega? Well, it really means that he is the beginning and end of all things. So he was there at creation, He'll be there at judgment. He'll always exist. And so we see uh, an example of this title over in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13, where Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Which kind of takes us to the, the next sort of you know title or name, if you will, Apostle, which is an interesting term for Jesus. Normally we think of the 12 Apostles. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Apostle basically meaning one who is sent. I mean, in many ways, just like Moses, you know, sent to be, you know, kind of a spiritual leader, of course, you know, superior to Moses. And likewise, in this very same context of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, uh, Jesus is also, quote unquote, our high priest. Of course, that's an allusion back to, you know, Old Testament priesthood. Uh, Hebrews, uh, you know, the writer of Hebrews go on, continues on, or in the book of Hebrews, um, previous chapter 2, verse 17, and then chapter 4, chapter 5, all the way through chapter 9, lays out this major argument that just like there were high priests under the uh, Old Testament, Jesus is now our high priest under the New Testament, and our singular high priest, uh, and a superior high priest. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, I'll highlight. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our 
confession. Um, this passing through the heavens, you know, somewhat parallel with the high priests under the uh, Old Testament, you know, entering into the most holy place, you know, as part of the tabernacle or as part of the temple. Well, Jesus kind of uh, figuratively has done that for us, you know, going into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, you know, superior to all the Levitical high priests under the law of Moses. Continuing on, he is also the author and finisher of our faith or of faith, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. And I hesitate a little bit to, you know, put that word R in there, uh, which is basically in some manuscripts is not in the original. You know, Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. You know, author, well, the source or one who makes the beginning, you know, kind of similar to the Alpha you mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, in the Greek, a chief leader, author, captain, or, or prince. You know, certainly, he's the example of faith for all. You know, finisher you know, from the Greek, completer, consummator, um, extremely skilled to the highest degree. He's the perfect example for us. So we've got apostle, author, finisher, high priest. Brian, over to you. Yeah, the next name uh, that we see Jesus is given, our names, I guess, in this case, blessed and only potentate and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 15, here it says, I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is blessed, or he who is the blessed and only potentate, uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So when you look at this word potentate, in the Greek it means a ruler or officer of great authority, mighty potentate. So that's what that means. And of course, Jesus tells us over in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 that he did in fact have this great authority when he said, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, the next name we want to consider is the bread of life. And Jesus used this reference for himself over in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So some might ask, well, how is Jesus bread? Well, as he mentions here, he's really our spiritual sustenance or our spiritual nourishment. And that's the reference that he's making there. And hopefully our listeners are beginning to get a sense, if they didn't have it already, of the diversity of titles, the diversity of descriptions, the diversity of roles, if you will. And continuing on, he's also described as the chief shepherd uh, in First Peter 5, verse 4, chief or head shepherd. And of course, that immediately you know brings to mind you know uh, the uh, pastoral setting with you know a shepherd and sheep, etc. And so, in this sense, in a spiritual sense, you know Christians are compared uh, to being sheep that, that we are his flock. First uh, Peter two verse twenty five. Uh, likewise, John ten verse eleven, Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep." Again, 
chief shepherd. Uh, he is also called a cornerstone. Uh, Psalms 118, verse 22, which in some ways is reflected in uh, Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion, that would be in Jerusalem, a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And we see that fulfilled in Acts uh, 4, verse 11 where uh, i think it was peter speaking this is the stone that was rejected by you builders which has become the chief corner stone now if you know much about architecture building construction at least in ancient times you know these kinds of corner stones would help you know serve as foundation for the building you know to bring uh, unify if you will the the two walls uh and of course my understanding is from there they would also take measurements to set the rest of the foundation. So from this perspective, Jesus is likened to a critical part of a physical building uh, or structure. And of course, the Jews rejected him uh, because they didn't satis uh, he didn't satisfy their expectations of what they thought the Messiah would be, you know, as a political leader, or what the Messiah would do, you know, throw out the Romans. So here again, critical aspect of knowing Jesus is knowing what he you know, really truly is and not letting our own think-sos uh, perhaps get in the way. Yeah, cornerstone, as well as a shepherd. Brian, over to you. Yeah, the next name that Jesus gives himself is Door. He says in John chapter 10, verse 7, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's what he means by being a door, that it's only through him, the door, spiritually, of course, uh, that one is able to get to the Father, if you will. And we certainly see that in prayer. You know, when we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer, well, it's because it's through him as our mediator, that we're even able to speak to God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, here we're told, For through him, speaking of Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So through Christ, we have an audience, if you will, with God. This idea of access carries the thought of through him. And uh, once again, through Christ, we are brought before someone of high rank. Of course, in this case, God, who has the highest rank, if you will. Jeff, back to you. Okay. Glory of the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We see that in, fulfilled in John chapter 1, verse 14. When the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Brian, back over to you. Holy One of God is another name he's been given. And we see in Mark chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jeff, I've always been fascinated with this passage because you know even the unclean spirits and demons gave testimony to Jesus. They knew who he was. And so, you know, when we think about this idea of holy one in the Greek, it means sacred. 
you know, physically pure, morally blameless, and so forth, uh, holy, right? And certainly that's a good description of Jesus. Yep. How about image of God and Emmanuel? Uh, Isaiah 7, 14, uh, as quoted in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, you know, God with us, which we kind of use to, you know, start our podcast uh, today. Uh, his name, descriptive of his character. You know, in some ways, the, 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 even the name of Jesus that, that we recognize, Jesus coming from the Greek, uh, means anointed. Uh, also, uh, the Hebrew equivalent of, of Joshua, uh, uh, you know, being God with us. So, and we'll kind of get into that, uh, his, his specific quote-unquote name, per se, like we would recognize the name. Uh, how about Lamb of God? Uh, John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How a lamb? Well, see, not only shepherd, but also a lamb. Uh, and he's also named our Passover, again, an allusion to the Passover feast and the Passover lamb. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 speaks of, Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. Uh, prophetically, Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So both shepherd and lamb. Brian? Jesus is called the way, truth, and life. So in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So like we talked about earlier, this concept of a door, it's only through Jesus that we enter. Uh, you think about truth, of course, John chapter 1 talks about Jesus was the truth. He was the living word when he was on this earth. And uh, certainly the life, because only through him and through his death on the cross and through our obedience to his will can we have spiritual life. How about son of man? Uh, Matthew 8, verses 20. Uh, Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. Uh, similarly, in another passage, that ye may know the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins said he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up that bed, and go into thine house. So certainly this highlights his humanity, you know, physical conception, birth uh, via Mary, son of man. Brian? Yeah, in a similar way, he's called the son of God. And, uh, you know, we see this like in, for instance, Matthew chapter uh, 4, verse 3, now when the tempter, speaking of Satan, came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. Of course, Satan knew that he was the son of God. And if you read Matthew chapter four, this is where Jesus was tempted of the devil. And of course, he not only resisted all of these temptations, but he gave scripture back to Satan to show that God is the only one whom we should serve. 28 and 29, here we're told when he had come to the other side, this is speaking of Jesus again, when he had come to the other side, to the country of Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. We read a little while ago, even these demons recognized that he in fact was the son of God. They knew the truth. And so it's very powerful to read that.
So the, the last will kind of group as three. Savior, Lord, Christ. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Uh, Acts 2, verse 38. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Of course, Savior, saving ourselves from our sin. Lord, Master, Owner, Supreme in Authority, and Christ, the Messiah, the Prophesied One, the Anointed One, you know, chosen by God. So there you go, Brian. A lot of different names or titles or, or attributes that we can, uh, you know, think about, ponder, and, and dwell on to know more about Jesus. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, Jeff, by my count, we went through 17 of over 100. So I think that helps our listeners to realize that he has been given a lot of names and not a lot of titles. And as you pointed out, it really helps us to understand his nature, uh, what he was all about, who he is. Uh, so encourage our listeners to look for more names. It's very, very interesting. So now let's shift gears and talk next about, you know, Jesus is often called the perfect example. And I think that's a fitting title because when he came to this earth, he was a man and he lived as a man. The Bible tells us he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. And so in that sense, uh, boy, who to learn from better than Jesus, right? So it's really important that we learn from Jesus how, by how he conducted himself as a man. No doubt the truth that he brought, the truth that we read about is very critical. But if we just look at his physical life and how he conducted himself as a man, there's a whole lot that we can learn in fact, Jesus said this himself in, in Mark, or, or Matthew, I should say, chapter 11, verse 29. Here he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus encouraged his disciples in John chapter 13 and verse 15, and actually he was meeting with his apostles here. He was washing their feet to teach them a lesson on humility and he said, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 beginning, it says, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So we're going to now get into some qualities that we should emulate as we talked about. So Jeff, I'll uh, let you kick that off. Right. And, you know, that's a, a good point in, in the sense of, you know, even today, you know, we understand the difference between what people may say and what they may do. And sometimes those are not in alignment. And, of course, that opens them up for charges of hypocrisy. And I like the way you, you teed up this particular section by saying, yes, yeah, certainly we need to listen to what Jesus said, but let's also pay attention to what he did, how he acted. You know, for example, let's talk about his humility. I mean, certainly you already mentioned, you know, John 13, where he ha had that physical example of washing their feet, where Jesus basically came to serve us, which boggles my mind that you know, this eternal deity, God, part of the Godhead, uh, instrumental in creating the entire universe, came to serve humanity. 
uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 20 through 28, you know, talks about, you know, you would be great. Well, then you need to serve. Uh, Jesus humbled himself, as I mentioned about being in the form of God, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Uh, let this mind be in you, again, follow the example, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God or deity, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, as in the form of a man, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We should have the same mind, verse 5, that as his disciples, as his followers, we should emulate that example, that we are to be humble, just like little children, Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5, that we should be submissive one to another, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, talks about that, with God resisting the proud, but giving grace to the humble, therefore humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt us at due time. And of course, that passage starts off with saying, you know, be all of you, be submissive to one another and clothed in humility. Likewise, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So certainly humility. Brian, any thoughts before we move to the next one? Uh, no, I'm good. Thanks. All right. Uh, compassion. So we see Jesus' compassion in John in several places, uh, one of which is John chapter 11, uh, verses 32 and 36. Of course, if, if you remember the context at this point, you know, Lazarus has died uh, and Jesus intentionally delayed. Now he's come upon the uh, cemetery, basically, where Lazarus was you know, in the tomb. Uh, and, you know, Mary comes out, pleads with him, you know, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, Lazarus, you know, Jesus' friend. Uh, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in spirit and was troubled. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we have the, in many ways, the, the shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. So Jesus was marked by having compassion. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, roughly verse uh, 35 for starters. He's out, he's you know, preaching and teaching and healing sicknesses. You know, Large multitudes are coming out. Verse 26 says, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Of course, we'll also see in that passage and a parallel passage in Mark 6, where he was also somewhat concerned about their physical needs. Again, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. So for us as Christians, you know, do we likewise have compassion for those who have spiritual needs and maybe even physical needs? First uh, John 3, 17 talks about who, whoever has this world's goods but sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart. Uh, King James has bowels of compassion. Uh, compassion or pity, how does the love of God abide in him? Likewise, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, talks about having compassion for one another, being tender-hearted, courteous. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, talks about putting on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. 
So Jesus was certainly a compassionate person, so we should be as well. Right? Yeah, he certainly was a model of compassion. And I do like the King James rendering there in 1 John 3, where it talks about bowels of compassion, because I think we can probably all relate to times in our lives where you really feel for someone, and you literally feel it inside, don't you? So a pretty pretty apt description there. Uh, Next, let's talk about this physical quality or a physical quality that we should emulate that Jesus had, and that was his interest in others especially towards those who the world typically rejected. So as our listeners may know, just from studying the scriptures, you know, Jesus showed an interest in sinners and tax collectors, you know, Samaritans. I mean, they were like the arch enemies of the Jews, if you will, uh, and, and many other people that the world often looked down on. And we see an example of this over in Matthew chapter 9. Jeff, you want to read that for us? Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Sure. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Yeah, and this is an area where it's pretty easy for us to understand what Jesus is teaching here. But in our own lives, we have to ask, are are we like the Pharisees, where we tend to align ourselves with people like us? And I just love, you know, Jesus's answer when he was asked, why do you, do you eat with these, you know, sinners and tax collectors? Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. And then, of course, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So certainly a wonderful lesson for us. Over in John chapter 4, if you want to make a note, read verses 5 through 10. Also take a look at verses 27. Here we have the story of what's often called the woman at the well, who uh, was a Samaritan. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the Jews kind of had a long-standing hatred for the Samaritans because of what happened many years prior to that. And, you know, Jesus really ignored these cultural norms, if you will, what, what had become a cultural norm. And he just demonstrated he had an interest in everyone. Once again, same lesson for us. We shouldn't judge people, so to speak, or only align ourselves with certain people. We should take an active interest in everyone. Uh, And once again, even those that are typically shunned by society. One final passage in this section can be found over in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, where once again, Jesus said and and really commanded that we should show an interest in those that are poor, maimed, and lame, and so forth. Here he says, or here it says, then he also, speaking of Jesus, said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, Do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so just another example of how it's important for us to realize how much good we can do by showing an interest, once again, in those that are often shunned by society. So the next one is his dedication to God. And I think, you know, just in looking at his life, this is one of those, well, yeah, we definitely see that, right? So, you know, Jesus said on many occasions that he came not to do his own will, but his father's. And we see 
For example, in John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So when we think about our own lives, we should have that same attitude. You know, once I'm a Christian by being baptized, I've committed myself to God, and now my mentality is, Lord, what will you have me do? I'm not here to no longer to do my will. I'm here to do your will. And so much like the Apostle Paul said, that Christ lived in him, and basically his, he was also fully committed to doing God's will. Jeff, back over to you. Okay. Uh, additional things that we can learn about Jesus, know about Jesus through his example, his patience, especially while being uh, persecuted or in tribulation. First uh, Peter chapter two verses eighteen through twenty four. Again, a passage our listeners should write down. Uh, I'll highlight verse twenty three. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And likewise, the example for us to follow of verse twenty. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Uh, Jesus speaking, Luke chapter six. Verses 27 through 38. Uh, again, another passage to write down. Uh, let me highlight verse 29. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And then obviously, you know, this, this is something we are challenged with, you know, turning the other cheek. And we have that phrase. Um, but that's what Jesus did. Uh, Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah chapter uh, 50, verses 6 and 7. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be ashamed. Uh, you know, how can we be patient when we face tribulation? How can we be patient when someone says unkind things to us? Well, consider the example of Jesus and how he was mistreated, persecuted, reviled, called names, spat upon, smacked in the face, crown of thorns, scourged, and ultimately crucified. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Loving our enemies which is probably one of the hardest things uh, against our, our nature to try and do. But nonetheless, that's what Jesus did and left us an example that we should try and follow as well. Brian, any thoughts before I move to the next one? Yeah, you know, oftentimes we sort of uh, fly off the handle sometimes, we might say, for, for some of these same things that might be done to us. But, boy, as you just kind of went through this list and you look at all the things that he went through, uh, we we should be a lot more patient, shouldn't we? Because ultimately, we probably will go through only a fraction of what he suffered. So good point, good point. So the next example, uh, his focus on teaching. Certainly, we see that in Matthew chapter nine, verses thirty-five through thirty-eight. You know, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, etc. Uh, had compassion because they were like sheep with no shepherd. Uh, he wraps that up in verse thirty-seven, saying to his disciples, "The harvest truly is plentiful." Plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So how can we as his disciples and followers, you know, follow that example and teach the world? Well, many different ways, actually, Brian, when you kind of dig into it. 
I mean, we can do it through our example. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul's speaking, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. 1 Timothy 2, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, purity. Uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 1, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Certainly, uh, we can teach the world through our response in adversity, kind of like what we were mentioning earlier. Uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12, uh, um, Peter, when you're writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Uh, certainly speaking the truth, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15 where the you know passage talks about uh, you know some are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, you know equipping of the saints, edifying of the body of Christ, skipping down to verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Uh, Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, you know go therefore make disciples of all nations, verse 20 teaching them to observe all things. Uh, and finally Luke chapter 24 verse 47 Repentance of remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Speaking the truth. And certainly those of our audience who are parents or even grandparents, you know, can, you know, certainly uh, uh, teach, if you will, through the, uh, the unique, the unique uh, avenue that we have with our children. Uh, and with our grandchildren. Brian, over to you. Yeah, so kind of like the names that we went through, you know, these are just a few of the qualities that we came up with that we should emulate. There's certainly more as you learn and read about Jesus. You know, so we talked about how we should emulate his humility, his compassion, his interest in others, his dedication to God, his patience and tribulation, uh, and his focus on teaching. And so, you know, ultimately, our goal should be the same as Jesus, and that is to be well-pleasing to God. And so he's such a wonderful example for us, uh, once again, looking at him as a man uh, when he was on this earth. You know, one thing that God said when he was on this earth that all of us would love to have him say about us, and that is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. And so, you know, Jesus was the physical son of God. We are the spiritual sons of God. And certainly through obedience, God would be saying this about us if we're faithful. And so as we see like in Matthew 3.17 and Matthew 17 verse 5, where God said this about Jesus, we should also strive uh, to have these same qualities. So Jeff, any thoughts uh, from you or final thoughts on this section before we get into our questions? Nope, I'd say press on. All right. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at some questions that were submitted uh, in regards to Jesus. And the first one, Jeff, for you, comes from Anne. And she just asked, was Jesus black or white? And similar questions we've received from people um, regarding you know, Jesus or how tall he was, etc. And Brian, I, I think for starters, let me make an observation that a lot of people, you know, at least here in the United States, 
seem to be somewhat obsessed about race, racial identity, etc. Uh, and others seem to be somewhat obsessed about, you know, physical appearances, right? Now, from a scriptural perspective, you know, the answer to the question kind of is we don't know uh, in terms of Jesus' physical uh, appearance. Now, the Bible doesn't really describe how he looked. And, you know, we don't know how tall he was. We don't know his weight, the length of his hair, the color of his hair, skin color, you know, you name it. However, there are some things that we can most likely uh, know with, with a certain degree of you know, probability. For instance, you know, as a member of the Jewish race, you know, living in the Western, nope, sorry, the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, that he most likely would have been somewhat dark complected and had dark hair and eyes, just like the people of that region do today. Now, I make that point because a lot of people will view the various artistic renderings of like the Renaissance artists, of him being fair-skinned, blonde, blue-eyed, I mean, you name it, you know, fair-skinned, European. Well, most likely that's not what he looked like. Uh, that being the son of a carpenter, he would probably have learned his father's craft, again, Mark uh, 6, verse 3, and would have probably been somewhat physical, muscular, since carpenters at the time, you know, not only worked with wood, but also stone and iron. Uh, Isaiah 50, verse 6, suggests he had a beard, which was fairly common among Jews of the day. Um, more interestingly, Isaiah 53, 2, suggests that he was actually somewhat average-looking. You know, not exceptionally handsome, not exceptionally tall, or, or short, or whatever, for that matter. Um, and 1 Corinthians 11, verse 14, contrary to a lot of artistic portrayals, would suggest he probably didn't have the long, flowing, woman-like hair that a lot of artists would portray him as. And I think the bottom line is, you know, the key point from the scriptures is, it's not that uh, the key part is his skin color, or his hair color, or his physical appearance. The emphasis was on who he was, what he taught, what he did, and certainly not what he looked like. Brian, any thoughts before uh, we switch gears? Yeah, I appreciate your emphasis on uh, not obsessing about, you know, race and how people look. And, I, you know, I've often talked to people about the fact that God sees us as souls and that our bodies are really just the vessels in which our souls reside. And I think that's borne out by the fact that when we die, as the Bible says, we return to the dust from which we were created and our soul lives on. And so, you know, it doesn't matter what our gender or race is when it comes to our soul. And so let's focus on that to your point and not on what we physically look like. In fact, as I was researching that question, I went out to the internet. And in addition to kind of the Renaissance, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, Northern European look of Jesus, I uh, actually found some artist renderings that would portray him as an African. And, you know, there's some people that say, well, Jesus actually had to be, had to be black, et cetera. And again, the, the key point, again, is not to get wrapped around, you know, racial identity, et cetera, but recognize, you know, who he was and what he taught and the examples, like we said earlier. Uh, okay, Brian, I got one for you. So this comes in from Larry. Larry asks, how was Jesus able to forgive sins during his earthly ministry, such as the paralytic let down through the roof and the woman who washed his feet before he went to the cross as the sacrifice in payment? For those sins. 
Yeah, and I we don't always know the motivation of some of these questions. You know, certainly he might be thinking that, you know, Jesus, first off, was just a man. And, uh, you know, men don't forgive sins. Of course, before he went to the cross, you know, maybe that's his thought. Of course, Jesus, A, allowed himself to be worshipped. Jesus fully acknowledged he was the Son of God. So the deity didn't leave him. When he left heaven, he didn't leave his deity behind, if you will. And so, you know, when we think about this idea of, or this truth of Jesus being able to forgive sins, the ability for him to forgive was not dependent on him going to the cross. Jesus was able to forgive sins while he was here on earth before he went to the cross. And so, you know, uh, when we look at Luke chapter 5, verses 18 through 26, which is uh, being referenced here by Larry, uh, when he healed this paralytic man, uh, notice what Jesus says over in verse 24 uh, when explaining why he told the man his sins were forgiven. He said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And so, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for all of mankind to have our sins forgiven if we are, you know, obedient to what God requires us to do, right? And that's, you know, repent of our sins, confess our belief in Jesus, and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, as we see in passages such as Acts chapter 238 and Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. So, um, that's how I would answer that. Jeff, uh, thoughts from you on that? Yeah, the only thing I might mention is, is there's yet another example of the, uh, the thief on the cross, where some people get confused, where Jesus basically forgives the repentant thief and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, and they may try to use, or I might say misuse, you know, that passage to teach. Well, see, therefore, you know, baptism is, is not required. Uh, but, you know, as you've already pointed out, you know, while on this earth, Jesus could look into people's hearts, see how they were thinking, see how they were behaving, and as God, as the offended person, could forgive them. Uh, and certainly we should not use those examples to override the other scriptures that talk about the things we need to do, you know, post his death uh, on the cross, as you mentioned, to include being immersed or baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. So, Brian, back over to you. Yeah, the next question comes from Terry, and he asks, is sin based down through a man? Jesus, he says, was born without sin. And since he had a human mother, my thought, and I had heard it at one time, that sin is passed down from the man, not woman. Yeah, and I think where this person may have heard this, or where they may be coming from, uh, is the doctrine of Calvinism in general, um, and more specifically what's called total inherited depravity, or what I th some people may refer to as original sin. That says, you know, when we are conceived and born, we are totally in sin, totally sinful creatures, unable to save ourselves, and hence it takes a direct and arguably miraculous act of God, you know, to enable us to even have faith and to believe. Uh, but the truth of the matter, when we look into the scriptures, is that basically all are born without sin. Uh, a good reference for that, Matthew. Uh, chapter 18, uh, verse, you know, two and three, where he put forth, you know, little children as an example of those who are uh, like the kingdom of heaven, uh, taught his disciples that we would, we should become as little children 
uh, in order to enter uh, the kingdom. You know, basically all are born into the world sinless, but unfortunately all will eventually sin, you know, as they, you know, ultimately, you know, grow old and, and you know, finally mature. You can see Romans, see that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Or as Ezekiel 18, 20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So, you know, on a, it wasn't that Jesus was, you know, born of Mary uh, and not of, you know, physically of Joseph, that, that he was sinless. No, Jesus was born sinless because we're all born sinless. Uh, of course, he maintained his sinlessness, whereas you know, we can't, don't, if you will. Uh, now, on a related subject, uh, speaking of this, you know, Calvinism, total inherited depravity or, or original sin, you know, many parents are concerned you know, about their infants or their young children uh, potentially dying and, you know, going to hell because they haven't accepted Christ. Uh, some might even worry about abortion and aborted babies. Uh, many Protestants uh, would say, well, these children are lost, having been born again, totally depraved and guilty of Adam and Eve's sin. Uh, Catholics would probably say something similar and sprinkle some water on them, on the infant, you know, to quote unquote save them, which they would call baptism, which Again, not according to the pattern we see in the New Testament. Uh, but again, the scriptures teach something entirely different. The children are safe, if you will, uh, until they reach the age and uh, you know, mental acuity where they can you know, choose between good and evil, right and wrong, God and Satan. Any uh, thoughts, Brian? Yeah, Calvinism is such an incredibly dangerous false doctrine, and I'm not sure uh, everyone really understands, especially if you are a member of a denomination as to how much it really has been a tool of Satan. I mean, when you start, kind of like we were referring to, Jeff, when we were talking about getting to know God, you know, it, it leads to things like once saved, always saved, or God is so loving, he would never have me to be lost, and could certainly lead to, well, God's already chosen, he will, he will save. Uh, th those are just damning doctrines, because if you believe in those things, uh, it di directly conflicts with God's word, and it really makes God an unjust God. So just really want our listeners to please be aware of these false doctrines because it's so easy to be led astray. Yeah, good point, because if you, know, if you really subscribe to those things, you're just going to sit back and wait for God to do something to you. And oh, by the way, once he quote-unquote does something to you, there's nothing you can do to lose it. So you can live however you want. Yeah, a very incredibly misleading uh, doctrine. Okay, Brian, I think that brings us to our last question from Nolia. She writes, would you please explain to me with Bible verses, how is Jesus God? You know, the Bible says you go to Jesus to get to God. Well, that's two people. You know, please help me to better understand. I want to know Jesus more, but I think this question has me stuck to where I don't understand if I really know who God is. Yeah, I, I come in, Noella, and, and all who are curious about this, uh, you know, for, for your desire to understand more about our great God. And that's really one of the reasons why, you know, we've done the, now two episodes, one on God and one on his son, Jesus, about, you know, getting to know them, right? It's so important to really understand their nature and, and who they are. So, you know, one of the key elements to understanding how Jesus is God is to realize that Jesus is part of what is known as the Godhead. And the Godhead is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even though they are three separate beings, you know, they're one in spirit, they're one in purpose, and one in will. 
And certainly as we study God's word, it's, it becomes very clear that that's the case. So a couple passages to help with this. Uh, in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus said, I and my father are one. Uh, John chapter 14 and verse 11, Jesus said, believe me that I am in the father and the father in me. We're also told in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then if we skip down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, and the word, once again, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, in these passages, as we can clearly see, you know, we're taught that Jesus came to this earth as the living word, and the Father was in him, because he and the Father are one in spirit. So, I hope that helps, and, you know, certainly there's more uh, that could be said and more that can be found, right, Jeff, on our website that helps to clarify this even further. Uh, exactly. And as I tried to mention up front, you know, there's some aspects of this that make it difficult for us to really understand, you know, how, for instance, you know, the nature of the Trinity it speaks in terms of, you know, three beings that are very united, that so united they're one, and yet they're kind of different. And yet they're not so different that they're three separate gods, as the witnesses might, might allege. And there's certainly some other, you know, more uh, uh, subtle aspects to, you know, the nature of, you know, Jesus and the Godhead that, again, are somewhat challenging to us. But from what is revealed, we can certainly know a lot about Jesus. And more importantly, you know, try to pattern and model our lives, you know, after that uh, example. Brian, any other closing thoughts before I uh, point people to our website? Uh, just one final thought. We mentioned early on in the podcast that we're going to have one more in this series, and that's getting to know the Holy Spirit. So we encourage everybody to come back and listen to that episode as well. Yeah, I imagine that's probably going to be a, an especially interesting one, as given, you know, in our modern culture, with the Holy Spirit often being associated with, you know, modern day miracles and directly influencing uh, people through, you know, modern day inspiration today, et cetera, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, et cetera. So hopefully that'll be a, a very interesting topic that I would certainly encourage our listeners to stay tuned for uh, when it comes out next. So uh, at least in terms of knowing Jesus, uh, several uh, areas in our website at biblequestions.org that you can go to. So if you look at the topics menu item, which if you're on a browser is along the top of the window. If you're on a, a mobile device, you'll probably see that as an icon with three horizontal lines. Uh, click on that and um, bring up or go down to the uh, topics uh, choice. Uh, there is J for Jesus with over 20 uh, articles uh, for your uh, research and for uh, the deep dive, if you will, for even more information. Uh, L for Lord. M for Messiah, and finally, the, the catch-all category, N for nature of Jesus. Again, lots of articles with lots of scripture references that you can dig into, research for yourself, not just take our word for it, but actually, you know, dig into the scriptures to not only learn more about Jesus, but also learn more about how we should act and behave and think to be more like Jesus. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, 
where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.